Turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. In this chapter, the writer to the Hebrews speaks about the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of the faithfulness of Moses, but he speaks of a better than Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 5, And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebellion, for who having heard rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have been taking up a study by the Puritan author John Owen. John Owen was a 17th century pastor and theologian, considered by many to be the prince of theologians. We have come quite a ways in our study. We began this study last year, and we're almost at the end of of that study. Our study of John Owen's treatise on the mortification of sin in believers brings us this morning to chapter 13. Many have approached this chapter with great caution, and so have I. Some may think that Owen's directions here is going too far. Far be it for me to wrestle with this man of God of a past generation, but we must not hold Owen up above the scriptures. This is probably the most difficult chapter in his work. Therefore, we must approach it prayerfully in the spirit of the Bereans who search the scriptures daily, whether these things are so. Let me remind you that Owen was a pastor. Let that sink in. And as 
and under shepherd of souls, he was not only profoundly knowledgeable of scripture, but intimately acquainted with his own heart and the hearts of those to whom he ministered, whether they were saved or lost. Keep that in mind as we go through this portion. Rob, Ebert, Rob Edwards writes, in this chapter, Owen gives the ninth and final direction in preparation for the work of mortification. He says that we must not console ourselves about our sin when God does not. Neither must we find our consolation with regard to our sin in ways that God has not provided. So as Owen talks about how we deal with sin and how we mortify sin, in the believer's life, when, we, when we're confronted by the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit brings that truth home to our hearts, whether it's in our private devotions, our family devotions, whether it's in the corporate meeting of God's people when we come and sit up under the word of God. And God speaks to your heart through the word and he presses home a sin in our lives and he brings that thing to remembrance. The child of God who wants to please God immediately desires to be free from that pressing hand, that, 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 that conviction of sin. And so we remember the promises of God and we go and we, and we plead the promises and we ask for forgiveness. We ask God to give us strength to continue on in the ways of obedience that we might humbly walk with him. And so this chapter deals with how we deal with our sin at those times. Owen oh, is dealing with besetting sins, those sins that nag us, those sins which so easily beset us. And how do we deal with those sins? In the ninth chapter, in the, in the, in the ninth direction, pardon me, in the 13th chapter of his work, Owen brings up this subject about how we deal with sin in our lives, especially when it's exposed. Owen simply calls this chapter the ninth direction. Richard Rushing in the abridged paperback, Puritan paperback, titles this chapter, Wait for the Verdict of God. Owen's introductory statement has been modernized by Aaron Wren. Let me read Aaron Wren's modernization of that old English. Now for the ninth and final preparatory instruction. If God has disturbed your heart with guilt because of your sin, either because of sinful acts you've performed or because of the root of an indwelling sin in your life, don't speak peace to yourself before God speaks it. And be sure to listen closely to what he has to say to your soul. If you don't do this, your heart will be very vulnerable to the deceitfulness of sin. Now, if you've been around here any length of time, you know that we believe that God speaks to us in his holy word, the 66 books of the Bible. The holy scriptures are the only sufficient, certain and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith and obedience. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will 
that is necessary for salvation. Therefore, the Lord was pleased at different times and in various ways to reveal himself to and declare his will to his church to preserve and propagate the truth better and to establish and comfort the church with greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world. The Lord put this revelation completely in writing. Therefore, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing his will to his people have now ceased. That's the first chapter and the first paragraph of the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. If you're desirous of the proof text that support that, I will give those to you later. In the fifth paragraph, at the end of the fifth paragraph of that chapter, we read these words. Even so, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority of Scripture comes from the internal work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Before we move on into this chapter 13, let me draw your attention back to the end of Owen's introduction. He says, if you don't do this. Speak or wait for God to speak. There is danger if we don't wait. He said, if you don't do this, your heart will be very vulnerable to the deceitfulness of sin. As difficult as this chapter is. Owen is desirous that the people of God be not overtaken or would not allow sin's deceitfulness to grip them. That's his aim. Sin is deceitful. Pastor Owen is concerned that the people of God are not tripped up by sin's deceit. Even when we are seeking forgiveness and help, the enemy of our soul is very busy. He was very busy with our mother Eve. Did not she say, the serpent deceived me and I ate, Genesis 3, 13. Sin entered the world through deceit. The evil one placed the bait in her mind. The trap was set and Eve was overcome by trickery and the cunning craftiness of the serpent who was full of all guile. The writer to the Hebrews was so concerned about the brethren departing from the living God that he warns them of the hardening nature of sin. It's deceitful. The portion that I read in your hearing at the first. Hebrews 13, 13th verse of the third chapter says, But exhort one another day by day, so long as it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This sin is so deceptive in creating an evil heart of unbelief that we must employ the daily help, the daily help of one another. It's deceitful. We need one another. Brethren, I hope we don't ever come to the place where we think we can do this on our own or we're so mature in the things of God that we don't need our brethren. 
we come here to worship and praise God, but there are a lot of other activities that go on on this, his day. And one of those activities ought to be us coming alongside one another and exhorting one another because we know just as we have been tempted, just as we have been pressed by the evil one in our daily walk, and we can think back on our week and we can think about how we've displeased God in those things which are not pleasing in his sight. Perhaps there's some stubborn sin we've been wrestling with. Perhaps there's a brother or sister in this place who has had the same experience or is experiencing the same thing. And they found direction and comfort and 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 a way of pleasing God in the scriptures. And so they come alongside you and they share those things with you. We need one another. We need this is this is imperative, brethren, that we come alongside one another day by day and exhort one another. Why? Because sin is deceitful. It sets its traps for all of us. And sometimes we have blind spots and we don't see, but our brethren see. And don't be offended, brother. When, when, when your brother comes to you or your sister comes to you out of love for you and love for Christ. And seeks to show you the ways of righteousness and how to walk humbly with God. Perhaps you're engaged or doing things or saying things that are, that are not consistent with Christian living. And God has given us each other to help one another in our pilgrimage that we might make it home safe. I trust that's our desire. In Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul speaks of the work of sanctification and how we are to walk worthy of our calling. In verse 22, he says that you put off concerning your formal your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 23, and that, you're, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness or in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The contrast here in, in this work of sanctification, as we've said many times from this pulpit, in, it, it, it has us putting off certain things and putting on other things as we read verse 25 to the end of the chapter that opens up some of those things that we must put off and the things that we must put on as God's people. But the apostle says that the old man was growing corrupt according to the deceitful lust, which is contrasted by righteousness and holiness of the truth that the new man endeavors to follow. Sin is deceitful. So Owen has his shepherd's rod and staff ready because he knows that sin's promises are nothing but lies that seek the sheep's demise. I must move on, but you can listen to Pastor Greg's lesson on the sinfulness of sin 
where he teaches on sin's deceitfulness under these heads. He taught us about its association. If we are engaged in sin, if, if sin comes knocking at our door, remember its association is with Satan, the father of lies. He spoke of its nature. It is vile. It is wicked. And it's disguised. And so when it comes, it doesn't look as ugly as it really is. It's got on some kind of it, it made me think of those those and, and forgive me for for referencing these. But it makes me think of those science fiction movies when some alien comes to uh, uh, to this planet and he takes on the form of earthlings. And look just like everybody else. But what he really looks like is hideous and awful to our eyes. And sin disguises itself, but underneath that disguise and that mask is vileness and wickedness. Pastor Greg talked about its goal. Sin's goal is to enslave us, is to master us. It's just not coming to, to give you a good time or uh, make you feel uh, happy about certain things. It, it's coming to enslave you. It wants to make you its slave. It wants to shackle you. And master you. And then he spoke of its consequences. It lies and hides its temporal and eternal ruin. Look with me. It's a classic example of that in Proverbs chapter 7. Sin never reveals what it's really all about, and, and it doesn't help those whom it attacks understand that. Its aim is your demise, and if you follow sin's ways, there are consequences which are hidden. Sin doesn't want you to know what's at the end of the road. In Proverbs chapter 7, our, our pastor Devon has been teaching through the Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 7, we come to that crafty harlot. To the moral woman. And I call it that because verse 10 says, And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Verse 21 says, With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips. That's how sin comes. It flatters us. It entices us. But these are the, the schemes of crafty ones. But what is the end of all of this? Does this young man think he's going to have a nice romantic rendezvous? He doesn't know what's awaiting him. For she has cast down many wounded, verse 26. And all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. This simple one did not know that. He saw this perhaps beautiful woman with enticing words who flattered him, and he thought he was going to have a nice romantic relationship 
with this married woman. He did not know that the end of all this activity is hell. It hides the consequences of sin. It's interesting that that the wise man says many strong were slain by her. It makes you think of that man, Samson, the strongest man who was deceived and who was captured by this deceit. You think of the most wise man, Solomon, who too was captured by the deceitfulness of, of sin. Sin seeks our demise. Owen begins with some sobering words. And so must we. So every loving pastor everywhere, all, all loving pastors, all pastors who love the Lord Jesus Christ make this plea. Don't allow your heart to be exposed to the deceitfulness of sin. And Owen begins these, with these sobering words to any who think of sin but lightly and suppose this evil great. He says, this is a business of great importance. It is a sad thing for a man to deceive his own soul this way. All the warnings God tenderly gives us to try and examine ourselves tend to prevent this evil, this great evil of speaking peace to ourselves groundlessly. It is like blessing ourselves in opposition to God. To prevent men from flippantly taking Romans 5, 20. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Or 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Careless professors carry these verses around in their back pockets to soothe their consciences, only focusing on salvation from the penalty of sin and not caring much about being saved from the power of sin, and much less looking forward to that day when God's children will be saved from the very presence of sin. For all intents and purposes, brethren, this last direction is a precaution against false peace. To manage this direction, or right, Owen says, observe these two things. God reserves the privilege of speaking peace. And secondly, it is the prerogative of Christ to speak peace to the conscience. First, it is God's privilege and prerogative. Owen says, it is the great prerogative and sovereign right of God to give grace to whom he pleases. As Paul puts it, he has mercy on whomever he wills. Romans 9, 18. Even among those who he called and justified, even among those who are saved, he still reserves this privilege to himself. He speaks peace to whomever he pleases, to whatever degree he pleases, even on believers. He is the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. 
especially when it comes to how he deals with believers, that is, of the good things that he keeps locked up for his family and to give to his children at his pleasure. This is what the Lord insists on in Isaiah 57. For I will not contend forever, Isaiah writes, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would, be, would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of the unjust, gain I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own hurt. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the to the far, to those afar and to those who are near, says the Lord, and I will heal. When God says he will heal their breaches and sorrow, he reserves this privilege to himself in a special way. I create it, he says. Even when it comes to those poor wounded creatures, I create peace. And according to my sovereignty, make it out as I please. And so God reserves the right to extend peace to those who transgress his law. Even when we come and confess our sins, even when we come and acknowledge before God that we have walked disorderly, God still is sovereign and he has the prerogative and it is his right and his right alone to extend peace to the soul. Is that not what we see in David? Even after David was forgiven, he still pleads and cries that God will restore unto him the joy of his salvation. David wanted more than just the wiping away of his sin. He wanted to know the nearness of God. He wanted to know the peace of God. Owen also says it is the prerogative of Christ to speak peace to the conscience. It is the prerogative of Christ, he says, to speak peace home to the conscience. As God creates peace for whom he pleases, so it is the prerogative of Christ to speak it home to the conscience, speaking to the church in Laodicea, which had healed its own wounds falsely and spoke peace to itself when, it's, when it shouldn't have. He takes for himself the title, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, Revelation 3.14. He bears witness of our true condition. We can make mistakes. We can cause trouble for ourselves when we don't need to and have, and we can flatter ourselves on false grounds. But Christ is the Amen, the faithful witness, and what he speaks about our condition is 100% true. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, Isaiah eleven three. That is according to the outward appearance or anything that can be mistaken as we like as we are likely to be. But he will judge and determine every situation as it really is, as it truly is. Christ was walking in the midst of the the, the lamp stands and he says, I know your works. He was intimately acquainted with their ways. And they had a different estimation of themselves. They thought they were rich and, and they had need of nothing. They thought they were in a pretty good, actually an excellent spiritual condition. 
But the all-seeing eye of Christ saw something very different in the Laodicean church. And he calls them to repentance because he sees their wickedness. And he reserves the right, the all-seeing Christ reserves the right to speak peace to our hearts. And he will not speak peace to our hearts when we're walking in disobedience. When we just mouth the words of scripture, but our, our conduct is contrary to what we've read. As I've said in the past, 1 John 1, 9 is not a magic wand. It's just not something we just, just, just throw around and, and as if it, was, it would make all of our sin go away. No, there is a way to have our sins removed. They were dealt, they were dealt a death blow, I say, on Calvary. But each day of our lives, we must confess our sins and walk humbly with our God. Owen is concerned about believers understanding that you're not in control here. God's in control. And God is the only one who can rightfully speak peace to our hearts. Even though we sometimes would like to speak peace to our hearts before we've been duly exercised by our guilt and the awfulness of sin. We want to get on with it. God wants to do a work in us as he is conforming us to the image of his son. Given these two observations, I want to say is I will give some rules that can help you determine whether it is God speaking peace to you or whether you are speaking peace to yourself. So he helps us. He just doesn't tell us it's, it's not proper to speak peace prematurely. But he says, I'm going to give you some helps. Help you understand some things that might identify if you're in the wrong. First, he says, men speak peace when they do not hate their sin and are not disgusted with themselves for it. People speak peace to themselves when they do it without total hatred for their sin. People speak peace to themselves when they do it without the greatest hatred imaginable of the sin they are speaking peace to themselves about or without hating themselves for committing it. When people are hurt and troubled by their sin, here's how they often react. They know there is no cure for their sin other than the mercy of God through the blood of Christ. So they turn to Christ and the promises of the covenant of grace in him. Then their hearts claim. Claim down because calm down, pardon me, because they know everything will be right between them and God because he will be gracious to them. In fact, he will even be glorified through his grace. But after this, they aren't horrified by the sin or sins that sent them running to Christ in the first place. This is what it means to heal yourself and not to be healed by God. This is nothing more than a great and strong wind, which God was near, but wasn't in it. First Kings 19. When people truly look on Christ, whom they have pierced, without which there is no healing or peace, they will mourn, Zechariah 12 says. They will mourn for him because of this and detest the sin that pierced him. When we go to Christ for healing, our faith sees him specifically as one who has been pierced. Faith takes many different views of Christ. 
depending on the occasion in which it addresses in him and the fellowship that it has with him. Sometimes faith views his holiness, sometimes his power, sometimes his love, and sometimes his favor with the Father. And when it goes for healing, then the stripes on his back are to be looked at, the blood of the covenant. With his wounds we are healed, Isaiah 53. Now the outward story of them, which is how the Roman church deals with these things, but to look on the love, kindness, mystery, and design of the cross, we look for peace. When we look for peace, the punishments Christ endured must be in our minds. Owen says, we speak peace to ourselves when we don't hate our sins and when we're not disgusted with ourselves because we have sinned. When God comes to speak peace with certainty, it fills the soul with shame for all the ways it has been estranged from him. And one of the things Paul mentions as part of the godly sorrow accompanying the repentance that leads to salvation is, yea, what revenge. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 11. They reflected on their sins with indignation and revenge for their folly in them. When Job receives a thorough healing, he cries out, therefore, I despise myself. Job 42, six. And until he did so, he was he had no lasting peace. He might have tried to heal his wounds with the free grace doctrine his friend Elihu spent nearly an entire chapter telling him about in Job 33. But if he'd done that, he would have temporarily deadened the pain. To get real healing, he had to come to the point where he hated himself. Then we have the case described in Psalm 78. And Owen goes on. Brethren, it made me think of this hymn. When we think about speaking peace to ourselves, we must ask these questions and we must we must consider our ways and and ask, are are we really sorry or we just want to get this nagging conscience out of our ears? According to thy gracious word and meek humility, this will I do, my dying Lord, I will remember thee. Thy body broken for my sake. My bread from heaven shall be thy testamental cup I take and thus remember thee. Gethsemane, can I forget or there thy conflict see thy agony and bloody sweat and not remember thee. When to the cross I turn my eyes and rest on Calvary, O Lamb of God, my sacrifice and not remember thee. Remember thee in all thy pains and all thy love for me. And thou shalt in thy kingdom come. Jesus, remember me. Brethren, when we want to deal with our sins aright, we look at Christ on the cross, bearing our shame, scoffing, rude. In my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. Is that what you 
consider when you're on your knees and asking God to forgive you of your sin. Not just a, 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 a quick recital of scripture, but looking at the scripture and what the scriptures have said, what it took to put your sins away. It took the Son of God to come into the earth and bear our transgressions and take the punishment of eternal wrath upon himself to deliver us from the wrath to come. Is that what we do? We look at Christ and all he's done for us. It ought to make us weep. It ought to sorrow our hearts. It ought to make us hate sin. And if we don't hate it, Owen says, we're speaking peace to ourselves before we ought to speak peace to ourselves. Because when God speaks peace to ourselves, it's a lasting peace. It's a thorough peace. Secondly, Owen says, men speak peace when they merely reason with themselves and do not seek God for it. As I said, men just take God's word and pass it through their intellectual vortex and make these deductions. If I sin, there is a remedy. There's a fountain open for sin and uncleanness. And I'll go there and, 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 and recite these verses. And he says, people speak peace to themselves when they receive it only from natural or rational thought and arguments. He said, it's not the work of the Holy Spirit who alone can convict the world, convincing of sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16 is only the work of his mind. He's not sought God on his knees and asked for forgiveness and pleaded with God for forgiveness. True, lasting peace reforms the life. When God speaks peace to our souls, it reforms our lives, it makes us something other than we were in our disobedience. Owen says men speak peace to themselves when they do it slightly. They do it slightly. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah speaks of those who healed their wounds and spoke peace to themselves slightly. In chapter 8, verse 11, he says, For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly or superficially, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed? When they committed the abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. He says the same thing in chapter 6, verse 14. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. People seek quick measures to deal with their sin, but they are not ashamed of their 
sin. Paul says in, in Romans 6, when he talks about those who've been regenerated, he says, he speaks of sins, those things where we are now ashamed. Are we ashamed of our sin? If we're not ashamed of our sin, we've only gone through some mental exercise and we've not thoroughly had dealings with God and we've not considered our sins. We just want to get on with things. It's kind of like that young basketball player who just recently was, again, reprimanded by the NBA for his actions. The the first transgression, uh, as he was spoken to, he went and sought counsel. And in two days, he came back a new man. Apologized. Recognized and acknowledged his transgressions and how he had violated league policies. And just the other day. That two day um, therapy, if you will, was just dealing with things slightly. And he did the same thing. The same thing. And seems to be oblivious to its guilt and its danger. We're not ashamed of our sin, brethren. It is because we spoke in peace to ourselves before God has spoken peace. Men speak peace to themselves when in some or other sin, there's some other sin lying in the heart about which they have no dealings with God. You confess this sin, but you're not concerned about these other sins. You may have recognized and been convicted in your heart that you really spoke really, really sharply and sarcastically and really harsh to your loved one, to your wife or to your husband. So you say, "Okay, I'll go and you confess your sin and you ask for forgiveness. You ask them to please be merciful. But there's some other sins that are still running around in your activity, which you have no dealings with. And you're not convicted about those things. God demands universal obedience that we might be those who are giving our desires and our hearts um, action towards obeying all of his commandments. Some people are speaking peace to themselves. Well, I've done what I should do. I've asked her to forgive me, and, but they're not dealing with all of their sin. And if you're not dealing with all of your sin, God's not speaking peace to you. Men do this to themselves when it is not accompanied with humiliation. When, we, when God speaks peace to our hearts, it brings us low. We're humbled by our sin. If we're not humbled by our sin, if there's no humiliation, then we are not dealing with our sin the right. Brethren, we'll take up these things some more next week. But what Owen is, is, is striking at is, is this whole area of people just being flippant about their, their, their Christian walk and, and not walking with God in a way that is consistent with his holy word. Just having a name that they are alive, but actually are in a very bad way. Perhaps some are actually dead. We may desire more glorious and lofty truths, but we won't and can't appreciate them as long as there's sin that we're not dealing with in our lives. Sin fogs our spiritual sight. 
We are to be killing sin. You put to death, the Apostle Paul says. Sin was not killed and eradicated at conversion. It has received a death blow, so much so that it dominates. Its domination and rule is over. It's been broken. It does not rule us anymore. Remember the words that God spoke to Cain? Sin is crouching at the door and it desires it to have you. Its desire is for you, King James says. This is no longing for cuddly companionship. These words are understood by the contrasting command, but you rule over it. Genesis 4. Cain had no power to resist sin. He obeyed his master and he killed his brother. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off the old man. and Put on the new man. And in light of the fact that God is sovereign and dispensing peace to our hearts, dispensing peace to any sinner. I say to some of you this morning who have not come to Christ, don't wait to come to Christ. Today is the day of salvation. The day you hear his voice, harden not your heart. There is real grace and peace in Christ and only in Christ. And don't think that well, one day when I get older, I'll, I'll come to Christ and, and I'll live the Christian life like my parents desire me to or as the pastors exhort us to. Tomorrow's not promised, but even if you live to see tomorrow, the prerogative is God's to show mercy. And he may not extend mercy. Don't presume upon the grace of God. But God is a merciful and a gracious Savior. Brother, our time is far spent. Let us pray. Our Father, we confess that these are hard truths and convicting and difficult things that we have considered. And we confess to our shame that there have been times in our lives when we've spoken peace to ourselves. But that peace did not render lasting obedience We ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sin. We ask, Lord, that you would work in our hearts by your word, by your spirit. And we ask that you would work in the hearts of those in our midst this morning who are not saved. That they would not dally with sin. That they might have true dealings with you and come to you through Christ, the great Savior, before it's too late. We ask it in his blessed name. Amen.